Good morning, Lake Church. Hey, come on, stand to your feet. It's time to worship the King of Kings. I want to invite you to come down to the front. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to enter into an awareness of His presence this morning. Did you come to worship the King this morning? Hallelujah. You know He's worthy. I said He's worthy of all praise. He is worthy of our worship this morning. Hallelujah. Has the Lord done great things in your life? Then you should be ready to worship Him this morning. Hallelujah. Just begin to raise your voice. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Hallelujah. We shout the victory this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated the enemy this morning. We thank you that you freed us from sickness. You've freed us from disease. You've freed us from sin. You have freed us from shame. To worship you, Father God, to enter into your presence this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Come on, lift your voice this morning, church. Hallelujah. As loud as I want 
Why can't I face him as loud as I want? Why can't I face him as loud as I want? Why can't I face him as loud as I want? Why can't I face him as loud as I want? Why can't I praise him as loud as I want? Why can't I praise him as loud as I want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might get loud. It might get loud. Heaven's coming down.
looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you, we praise you This is what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like Come on, we praise you, we praise you This is what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you, we praise We'll see you break down every wall Watch the giants fall Fear cannot survive when we praise you The God of breakthroughs on our son River lift him on Creation cry God we praise you
let's lift our hands to him this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you're our surety, not only of a better life to come, but the best life now. We thank you that you're our surety, Lord. Hallelujah. I felt led this morning to get the attention off of us and to begin to place it on others. This is, uh, with this conference this week, we're going to be seeing a lot of people that are broken. We're going to be seeing a lot of people that need the freedom that many of you possess. And so I think it's important right now that we shift our mindset. It's so important we shift our mindset from being served to becoming the servants. And so I want us to hook up with the will of God. And in a, even though a lot of denominations somehow throw this scripture out, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, It is his desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what I want us to do, saints, in the room this morning is I want us to begin to shift our attention. I feel like this is the heart of God right now, that we would shift our attention and we would come into unity, that this week... There will be no obstacle preventing anyone from receiving the knowledge that would set them free. Can you join your faith with me this morning and pray alongside me? This is the will of God that all men and women would be saved, that is healed, that is delivered, that is born again. That all of them would be saved and, and, and receive the knowledge of the truth. And so right now, God, we know that according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20, that whatever we place a demand on and we begin to think about, you do far more than we could ever imagine, God. And so right now, right now, your saints come into agreement that this week, people that have been, that have been, uh, written off by society because they're broken and, they're, and, and they don't function correctly. This week, those that have been written off by the doctor and that have been told there's nothing that can be done for them. This week, those that have had their family and other churches abandon them. God, those kinds of people, when they come into this place, nothing will hinder them from you. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands across this room. Unite your faith with me. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We're the people building place. And so this week, Father, we just thank you that, that freedom comes from this house. That masses of people that need deliverance from demonic influence and masses of people that need deliverance from infirmities would be set free in this very room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you see it, church? Can you see it, church? Come on, let's lift a shout of praise unto Jesus in this place. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the freedom that's going to take place in this room. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to have your heart. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. We're the friends that get on the roof and lower, lower the crippled man through the ceiling. Come on, that's us this week. We're going to be crazy with, with, with making sure that this house, this facility, is everything's in order so that people can freely receive from the master himself. Hallelujah. Amen. You agree with that? Amen.
Well, hey, there's some pretty cool people standing next to you. Make sure that you love on somebody, shake a hand, say hello to somebody. We're so glad that you're here this morning. So glad that you're here this morning. Hope you guys are ready for a fun week. It's going to be an awesome week. Kicking it off with Pastor Greg this morning. That's always a good time. Amen. And then we got John Ramirez coming in this evening. It's just going to be a special week. We're so excited. But we want to give you the opportunity to partner uh, with what is going to transfer. Who, who we are is the people building place. And so this week, we're going to have so much ministry happening, and it's just going to be a taste of who we are. So we want to give you the opportunity to just come into agreement by faith through your giving this morning with the freedom that's going to take place. I hope that you have invited somebody maybe that you know that needs freedom as well. It's not too late if you haven't already. But I just believe that we can sow in faith this morning with the expectation that people are going to be delivered. If you don't know who we are, we are the people-building place. That's what we do. We believe in people. It doesn't matter if you're 174. It doesn't matter if you're uh, two months old. It doesn't matter. We believe in people, and we desire to equip people to become Jesus to a lost world. Amen? And so we want to give you the opportunity to par partner with us before we get into the Word. You can text a number on the screen. You can give online at lake-church.com. You can give from the envelopes on the seat back in front of you. I'm going to pray, and we're going to receive the offering. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the honor that it is to partner with you in the family business of sharing the gospel unto the ends of the world. And so, God, we just thank you this morning as we sow. We thank you that freedom, uh, this, this offering is just going to allow for people to be liberated all over the world and experience the freedom that can only be found in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Are you excited about this week? Hallelujah. Some of you are. Are you excited about this week? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, this week is about hell no. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Giving people the message and the power to say no to hell. Amen. And uh, that is what we are desiring to do. And so what I want to do before we kick off tonight, we're just going to have some wonderful things. Of course, we put out all the extra chairs because we expect uh, a great multitude of people to be here. Uh, and we've got plenty of room, so don't let it deter you. Uh, we have overflow areas and things of that nature. Very excited about it. Um, we're also going to have, you know, those of you that like to come early, we're going to have some food trucks out here, uh, Mexi dogs and, and various uh, stuff is going to be here, yeah. And uh, we, I call them sexy dogs. They're pretty good. <laughs> and they're going to be out here a couple of nights, and then we're going to have some others that, that are going to be here. I, I, I don't have the, you know, uh, spam sandwiches or whatever. We'll have something. 
but uh, it's going to be good. Seems like it's going to be warm weather till the end of the week, huh? Street tacos, amen. It's going to be good, and uh, so uh, just you know, we're we got you covered. So you know, people say, well, I can't get off work and eat and take care of the kids and get here at seven. Well, we got you covered. Um, now, we're not going to have children's ministry on, on uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but we will have it on Wednesday, um, regular service. But we want the kids to experience. If, praise God. It's good for us to come together collectively and, uh, and just to see the power of God move. What we're doing is, uh, you know, we are cooperating with a true evangelical Evangelist, a, a true evangelist. And so when that anointing comes in the house, you know, and it gets in with the corporate anointing and, and the journey that we've had the last three years, uh, I believe it's just an intersection that's going to just come together and we're going to see some tremendous things. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited to have the Romeros here with us tonight and doing uh, the worship. So I'm excited about it. But I wanted to stir us up as a real meaning of why we're having this. It's to give people the power to say no to hell in their life. But we need to remind ourselves many times because hell's not preached. It's not even something that is even talked about very much anymore and it seems to be avoided and it needs to be in the forefront of our mind. Not that we are fearful of it, because we that are redeemed of the Lord know that to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And, <clears throat> but our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, <clears throat> they need to know from our lives that Jesus paid the price where they could say no to hell. Amen? And so that's what we're going to endeavor to do. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter, Gospel of Luke chapter 16. And, uh, you know, I, I can say that being saved, God is so good to me. Has he been good to you? Amen. But sometimes we forget what we were saved from. We forget. And it, ha it has a profound effect on our ability to reach out to others. You know, when we understand that everything is about eternity, guys, everything, your whole life, you might have the busiest life that you've ever had in your existence, but it all will end with what are you going to do with Jesus and your eternity? Because those that choose Jesus have a different eternity than those that do not. Amen? And that's just the truth, okay? So, Jesus, in the uh, 16th chapter, starting with the verse 19, he tells a story. Now, this is not a parable, guys. This is not a parable. A parable says it, it compares something with something. He's talking about a literal person or persons. He's saying there was a certain man. So he's talking about a real man here. And so this is not just a teaching that we can kind of draw spiritual parallels from. This is actual truth here. He's giving us the ability to peer into uh, the realm of the dead and understand how it operates and how it works in his 
economy, which he operated within the Old Testament, so it has a little bit different variables to it, and we'll talk about those. But notice what it says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who um, feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, or in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner had, thing, had things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Pretty powerful words. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, and we just thank you so much for your grace upon this house, grace upon this people, Father. Stir our hearts today. Help us to see outside of ourselves, to see the hurting, the last, the lost, the least that are outside and around us. Help us, give us the unction and the utterance and the wisdom to be able to help them say no to this place of torment. In Jesus' name, amen. Now notice, I want you to notice this. This was not about him being rich and Lazarus being poor. That's not why he went to heaven and why one went to hell. It had no bearing on their physical life. Notice that when the man cried out to Abraham, uh, Abraham told him, he said, it is about the law and the prophets. So it's about the word of God. Amen. Their attitude towards the word of God and towards what God had said. Even though Lazarus was poor, and afflicted in his lifetime, and uh, the rich man was uh, sumptuously fed and was well taken care of, that is not what sent him to hell. Yeah. Amen? This isn't about that. It's about their attitude towards the things of God. One apparently had a heart towards the things of God, even though his circumstances were very meager and, and tormenting in this life. And another 
had an extravagant lifestyle but had no fear of God whatsoever. And that's the reason why we see this parallel, or not this parallel, but this, this, uh, this contrast, okay? And so it's not about where you come from, what side of the tracks you come from, the color of your skin, what you were raised in, what country you're in. It has absolutely no bearing whatsoever. It is your attitude towards the things of God. What are you going to do with this gospel message? What are you going to do with the Word of God? And that's what's so vital and what's so important to us. I want us to understand real quickly, and I'm not going to take a long time here, but that's, you know, I'm lying. Um, okay, but uh, I'm going to give you five myths, five myths about hell, all right? Is it all right if we talk about hell? Five myths about hell, all right? Myth number one, Jesus was unconcerned about hell, that nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus preached a lot about hell, but it's amazing that his own body doesn't. It's amazing that his own church doesn't. Jesus preached about hell a lot, and I'm going to give you a few scriptures here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And verse number 29, Matthew chapter 5, we might have it up here. I might be able to read off the screen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 29, do we have it? Hello. Okay, all right. Well, I guess i got to turn manually. Matthew chapter 5. All right, I sent the scriptures. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 29. All right. Praise the Lord forevermore. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus talked about hell. Now let's turn to the 13th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 41. Hallelujah. Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all cause of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen? Amen. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. In verse number 20. Hallelujah. Matthew 25, verse number 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will make you master over much. And uh, it talks about the one who brought the one talent. Just one talent. And he says in verse number um, 24, he says, Master, I knew 
you to be a hard man. You know, that's, that's, that's really the, the psyop of the devil is to, is to make you believe that God's mean. Amen? He wants you to believe that he's mean. And so he says, so I was afraid, and I went and I hid my talent in the ground. Here, have what, what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the uh, bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even that which, uh, that he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You get the picture. Jesus talks about hell, and he is concerned about hell. And he is concerned, so concerned, about people going to hell. Just as the scripture was read this morning from Pastor Trevor, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? Now, as we progress down to these myths, we're going to get more and more light. But we need to understand, Jesus talked about hell. Jesus ministered on hell. Jesus was very explicit about hell. And we need to be. Amen? Doesn't mean we need to go into Walmart and tell everybody they're going to hell. It doesn't mean that we need to go to our workplace and condemn and, and criticize and be judgmental over people's lives. It should motivate our hearts to help and aid people by assisting their lives and being a blessing to them so that they can get the message and the power to say no to hell. I want people in this world to say, hell, no, no. Amen? Because Jesus paid a great price. Amen? All right, myth number two. All right? Hell was made for man. Hell was made for mankind. That's a myth. That's an absolute myth. God does not have pleasure in sending people to hell. In fact, we're going to find out that he really doesn't send people to hell. We're going to find that. That's another myth. But we need to understand this, that God does not want anybody to be in hell. He did not even create hell for mankind. Amen? God is good completely. God is absolutely good. It is the devil that wants you to think that he is mean and judgmental and critical. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. That's God's desire for you. Look at the 25th, and we're in the 25th right here. It says uh, in verse number, I guess, uh, let's see, verse number 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for you. It was never meant for you. But because Adam sided with Satan, 
and began to connect himself with him and made a covenant with him. We are identified with Satan until we identify with Christ. Hell is made for the enemies of God. And when we are born into this world, we are born enemies of God because we are allied with Satan. But thank God, we can hear the doctrine of the gospel of God and receive that wonderful gift of God and we can be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. Amen? And we can be identified with Jesus and whatever is Jesus' reward becomes our reward. Amen? But whatever the devil's consequence is, is what your consequence will be if you don't make a decision for Jesus. Amen? Okay? Do you understand that? All right. Okay. Myth number three. Hell is filled with bad people. Well, that's where the bad ones go. That's where the Hitlers go, the Mussolinis, you know, the David Koresh's, the... You know, Jim Jones and all those horrible, you know, the serial killers. That's where they go. There are people that have helped you, paid bills for you, fixed your car, and helped. There are people that gave their life to suffering children, fed the poor. Oh, you got to get a hold of this, guys. Fed the poor, took care of the needy, in hell today. There are preachers in hell today. So that tells us another thing that we need to really get excited about. It, that means that heaven isn't filled with good people. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We think hell's all for bad people. No, listen, hell is for those who identify with Satan in the sense that they reject the free gift of God. That's the only thing that sends you to hell. People say, well, will my sin send me to hell? There's only one sin that will send you to hell. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, that keeps you. We, we're not sinners by what we do. We're sinners by what we're born into. Amen? So that means this, that, that hell isn't just filled with bad people. There are good people that we could look at and say, man, I really thought they were good. I thought they were virtuous. I thought that they were, you know, they gave their all for humanity, but yet they're in hell today. Because it's not about your works, it's about what you believe. Do you believe in the message that Jesus came and died for your sins? Have you received him? The, these are vital, important truths. We take this stuff for granted because we, majority of us have been saved for years and years that we forget what we've been saved from. The truth of the matter is there are people that you dearly loved and thought you couldn't live without on this earth that are in hell today. Yes. 
And it's not because they weren't wonderful here, that they weren't a blessing to you. It's that they made a decision to reject the message of Jesus. And they found themselves in an eternity without God. Do you see why we need to be concerned about our neighbors and about our friends and about our family members? Amen? I'm telling you. Okay. All right. Number four. You got, you got to hear this one. There are innocent people in hell. There are people that think that there are innocent people in hell. There are no innocent people in hell. None. Absolutely none. You know, in the prison system, you know, you talk to somebody, you're trying to help them. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I mean, it doesn't matter if they were caught red-handed. I'm innocent. I'm innocent, you know. In hell, you'll never hear that. You'll never hear that. Everybody who is in hell today knows why they're there and agrees with it. They may not like it. They might want help out of it, but they understand it. Now, I'm going to read a, a portion from this book called A Land Unknown, and this is by B.W. Melvin, and, and uh, I, I got a chance to hear him. I just ran across him on uh, YouTube. He gave his testimony of, of when he went to hell, and it was very, very stirring. And, of course, uh, I don't believe everyone that has uh, experience in heaven or in hell. I, I, I go by, you know, my, my the scriptures first, and I go by the unction on the inside. And then also I look for common denominators because if, 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 you, if, if several people are going to one place, there's, they, you know, it's like going to Disney, Disney World, you know. They might emphasize a different place, but there's going to be some common denominators. And so, you know, his was in, um, in alignment with that. But listen to what this guy says. This is after he died. He had a fever. It was basically food poisoning of uh, some sort. And uh, he, he dies. He says, he says, deep, cool darkness surrounded me as I effortlessly floated through it. It was a peaceful darkness, and it seemed as though I had been transported through time. Floating through this deep blackness towards a small, lone, shimmering, glorious, luminous light, slowly growing bigger as I drew closer. I felt great relief, no more pain, no more fever. I was free. The ink-black darkness was darker than night inside a cave. Slowly, the pinprick of light seen off in the far distance grew brighter. I could hear sounds, like many voices singing, mysteriously in some strange melodic tone, producing a stunning harmonic hum. Each voice complemented the others perfectly. The light became more myst, uh, mystifyingly dazzling as the harmonic music grew more profound. Uh, out of this darkness, a unique kind of knowledge began, listen to this, began to fill my mind with thoughts and images. This knowledge was unlimited. It was as if some great force or powerful entity was speaking to me by the means of thought. I began to know things that I had never known nor understood before. The only way to describe this knowledge arriving by the agency of thought was by a central theme. 
it left like a residue on one's mind of images, words, and explanations. As I floated towards the astounding light, traversing the distance in pleasant darkness, I knew from knowledge revealed that I was without excuse. That what its theme that was its theme. I knew that I deserved my fate, whatever it may be. There I was, floating towards a light, with the knowledge of my life being revealed to me, and at the same time the knowledge of a universe displayed in grandeur. The light drew closer. A figure of a person wearing a white robe with a bluish sash around his waist was emitting this light in a sunburst of bright, vivid colors, which ranged in intensity from a soft candle glow to brilliant colors of the universe never seen before. Blue hues to bright whites, soft, warm, yellowish hues, almost blinding. The beauty of that light awed me. But my gaze was transfixed by the presence of this white-robed person. I was moving towards him when he st- where he stood. He stood up, a great round, uh, a great round-hewn rock, jutting out from this black void. A brilliant radiance emitted through his robe. When he revealed a hand, rays of brightness came forth in blinding fashion like first rays from the dawning sun. Upon viewing this person, any peace I felt suddenly vanished. Stark fear overcame me. I knew that if this person were to push back his hood and reveal his face, I would literally melt away into the unfair nothingness. Then extraordinarily cal- extraordinary calmness returned to me. My fate appeared sealed before arriving here. I was without excuse. The knowledge of the universe proclaimed. Floating as a falling leaf rocked by the autumn winds, back and forth I gently fell, landing feet first upon that rock. Perfect love, compassion, and fearsome justice overwhelmed me as I stood before one whose gaze, though hidden behind a hood, pierced me like a dagger. I then fell uh, like a sack of wheat onto the ground, weeping. Someone touched my shoulder and helped me to my feet. Standing transfixed, I could not run and hide, nor turn right or left. I could not blot out the shame and guilt of rejecting this person standing before me and all he had gone through to restore a soul like mine. As a young child, I used to sing this stranger's name while, listen to that. While a young child, I used to sing this stranger's name while pretending uh, to direct an orchestra in church but I had left that path to serve my own desires. Instead, I blamed him for all the pain and suffering in the world. I denied he he existed. I had argued that I could prove God was a criminal with intent, and I defended with blind faith the popular teaching of evolutionary processes. I now stood mesmerized before the very one I had tried desperately to deny uh, existed so I could justify my ways. The gaze of this veiled stranger shamed me as I recognized that I was responsible for my actions, not he. 
There was no one to blame, no excuses to give. It was, it was I alone who had trod the path and set the course of my life. I felt him looking straight at me through the drooping hood concealing his face. As loud as any spoken word, I heard him speak by means of thought through the language of silent contemplation. He explained clearly why this and that had happened in scenarios beyond control during my life. While speaking, he reached out towards me, wiping away my tears with the hem of his sleeve, and the brightness from his hand abated, revealing an ugly, gnashed scar near his wrist, displaying that the very joints had been ripped from their place. This person spoke about the coming events I would soon undergo and gave me direction to follow after I had arrived. At that moment, I simply could not comprehend what was being said. I was awestruck and completely flummoxed. Think about that. There are people that uh, are crying out, help me in hell but they're not saying I'm innocent. As he passed through there, he began to see his life, and he began to see it in a perspective free of the lenses that are put on our life here, our pride, our ego, our self-interest, our selfishness. Once that's taken away, you begin to see your actions for what they truly are. You absolutely have no excuse. You stand before the one who died and gave his life for you, and you have absolutely no excuse whatsoever. Amen? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Amen? But there are no innocent people in hell. They're there, and they know why they're there. God is true justice. Not the justice we talk about in this world. I'm talking about true justice. Amen? You see, one thing that I see about this story we read in, in Luke chapter 16 is not one time did the man say, I'm innocent, I'm not supposed to be here. He didn't say that, did he? All he asked was for Lazarus to tip his finger in a cup of water. That's all. He didn't say, I'm innocent. What am I doing here? Obviously, there's some mistake. He didn't say that at all. He knew why he was there. And the only thing he was concerned about is his brothers. Pretty sobering, isn't it? That people would be in hell and have been duped by a lie on this earth, find themselves in hell, and all they can think about is, don't let my family come down here. Think about that. Think about how tormenting that is. But also think about that you can avoid it. Amen? Amen? All right. I've just got a few more minutes. Well, I'm actually doing really good. <laughs> Man. Number five. This is a myth. God sends people to hell. 
It's an absolute myth. Hell wasn't created for man. Hell wasn't man's destination. God weeps for the literally thousands that right now, as we sit in this church, are going into eternity, going into eternity, and we don't even think about it. We don't have any thought whatsoever as to someone that's wrestling with a needle right now. Someone that's trying to muster up the, the willpower to not take that Oxycontin. A lady with a black eye packing her bags and trying to get her kids together so that she can leave. We have no thought of those things. We have no thought of people passing into eternity and making decisions with their life that draw them closer to hell. Oh, maybe they don't find themselves there, but they have hell in their life. It's up to us, men and women, to where they can say, hell no. No, I'm not. This is not my life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of pain you're going through, nothing compares to what that will bring. Right. It's amazing to me that whenever we see a natural disaster, an earthquake or a flood or, or a tsunami or a hurricane, we immediately begin to talk about God's angry. God must have been angry with those people. You know, when we saw Katrina, you know, people would say, well, that was the judgment of God. But one thing that we need to understand is that Jesus was God's judgment. And he took the judgment of all mankind. So God's not up there operating in the realm of judgment and judging. Well, I'm, I'm just going to show you what the scriptures say. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't have this on my notes, but uh, I just feel like it needs, to be, it needs to be answered. I'm trying to stick with an outline and try to get this. Th 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 16 it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of a reconciliation. When you reconcile your checkbook, you get it all in order, don't you? When you reconcile with somebody, all the hurt and pain that was between you taken care of and you just come together and you're reconciled. You're brought back into right standing with one another. Amen? And it says in Christ Jesus, he has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what this week's about. That's what our life should be about. That's what every minute of the day should be about is reconciling people to God. Amen? And it says uh, right here, it says, that is in Christ, God, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, oh, this is good news here. Notice what it says. Not counting their trespasses. Oh, my goodness gracious. So if he's not counting them, then how can it build up for him to give a hurricane? No, there's other spirits that are in charge of the weather. And we, we've read that. We know what the Bible teaches about that. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. We, I've taught you well. You know that those are spirits. It's amazing how God gets blamed when tragedy hits our life. More Christians are more madder at God than they are the devil. God took my baby. God took my husband. God took my son. No, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, if, if, if God does evil, then how can he judge evil? God is absolutely and completely good. We're the ones out of whack. We don't see everything correctly like we ought to see. But he notice he says he is not imputing men's trespasses upon them. Why? Because Jesus took the wrath of God on our behalf. Now what, you know, listen, there are all kinds of gods in this world. We've, we've studied them. But not one of them gave a solution for man's dilemma. They just want service. They want you to give to their altar. They want to, and the altar's never satisfied. You gotta give, and you gotta give, and you gotta give, and you gotta give, and you gotta give. And God brings his own sacrifice. God says, I'll take care of it for you. You know, you don't have to, this altar is gonna shut down because I'm gonna give you the full propitiation and satisfaction for my wrath against man. I'm gonna give you the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So if God provides a way out of your dilemma that you got yourself in, then why are you saying he is sending you to hell? Why are you saying that? He provides a way. But yet people reject it. They want other ways. I want God to accept me on my terms on my beliefs. Well, guess what? He's not going to allow you into his presence and into his home. Now listen, guys. If a stranger came to you and knocked on your door and says, hey, I'm moving in. I'm moving in. And they got a U-Haul and it's backing up. And they said, I'm moving in. I'm moving into your home. You have absolutely no relationship you don't know this person, but yet they're moving into your house. I'm telling you what you would say. Hello. 
Hello? Because it's not about your willingness or your love or anything about that. It's about there's absolutely no relationship or basis for it. There's none. There are people that will blame God and get on that bandwagon when tragedy strikes their life. But through seasons in which they've had it good, in seasons in which they had money in their pocket, in seasons in which they had health, they denied him and lived lives irrespective of him. And now all of a sudden they want to get their religious freak on. Come on. That's the truth. And let's just back our bus up because we're going to get, go into this place and we have absolutely no relationship whatsoever. Would we be mean if we said, no, we're not going to do that? No, you're not going to be. Would that be mean? No. But yet God's mean. He won't let me in. No, he's made a way for you. He made a way for you. Here's another myth. It's not on my list, but it is that all people are children of God. That is a myth. That is an absolute and utter myth. We're all God's children. That's not what Jesus said. Well, let's find out what he said. All right, let's go to the Gospel of John. A couple of really good verses that I could share with you. I want to look at John 17 first. John 17, I shared this with you not, not just but about a couple months ago. Jesus, in praying for his disciples, are you getting anything out of this? Is this helping anybody? Is it stirring you up? Yes. It should. You shouldn't be afraid of hell. Jesus paid the price. Amen. All you got to do is receive him. It's as easy as that. Yes. I mean, my goodness. Notice what it says here. He's praying for his disciples in the 17th chapter. Notice what he says. I am praying for them. I like Jesus prays for me. Amen? Amen. But notice what he does say. I am not praying for the world. Gentle Jesus. Sweet baby Jesus. Says I'm praying for those that have come, received my word, and have walked with me, that you gave me, Father, but I'm not praying for the world. Oh, my goodness. That, that changes stuff. All right, well, you don't you need some more? Okay. All right, we'll get some more here. Let's look at the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. You know, sometimes we're very overtaken with someone's uh, religious activity. Oh, they're a good person. You know, they go to the soup kitchen and they do all this stuff and they give to charity and things of that nature. And we look at the outward and we don't realize that they don't have any relationship with God. It's about relationship. It's not about works. No, it's about relationship. Whose family are you in? Amen? That's really what it is. Whose family are you in? The most religious people in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. Absolutely. I mean, they would tithe their spices. Amen? They would tithe their paprika and their cumin and their all, all different spices. I mean, they got down to it. And they, they, they lived 
a separated life, or some of them did, but they lived a separated life, a religious life. And so to the common person, the everyday man on the street, they were the epitome. In fact, Jesus told his disciples one time, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. So obviously it was lifted pretty high in the people's eyes, although it wasn't in God's eyes, is in the people's eyes. Well, look at them. Man, they're good. I, you know, have you ever been overwhelmed with a person? Work with them and you go, oh my goodness, he's just absolutely, you know. I, I remember working with a holiness man one time and uh, we'd be out sweating, just unloading these trucks, you know. I was pretty buff back in those days. I, I have to say, I looked pretty good. And, uh, you know, and, and so we're, and he'd always wear long sleeves. Always wear long sleeves. I mean, and it'd be hot, you know, and he'd look like a, a turkey basting, you know. He'd just be all, and, and I said, why don't you wear a short sleeve shirt? You know, we were in there. And he said this, he goes, I'm afraid if I show my arms, I'll cause a young lady to lust. You know what that did to me? I got to see those arms. <laughs> I was filled with all evil concupiscence, as the King James says, a longing for what was forbidden. But he was in church every night. He was in, you know what I'm saying? You get overwhelmed by, by people's work, you know. Didn't, didn't cut his hair. Didn't believe no razor should be upon his head, you know, Nazarite vow, stuff like that, you know. We can get real enamored with that stuff. We can also get enamored with people that are uh, martial arts, things of that nature, people that have certain disciplines and you know, the Mr. Miyagi, you know, kind of aura, and we just think they're absolutely perfect. Come on now. They ain't got no troubles. Seems like their life is so much better than mine. Seems like they got it all together, and I don't have anything together. I'm just a mess. Well, this is the way the Pharisees were held in that high regard. They were held in that. And notice what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 8, and starting with verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, oh my gosh, you're, talking, you're not talking to just some hell's angel. You're not, talk, you know, you're not talking to someone that we would perceive and that was lost. You're talking about the, the most religious people of his day. He says, If... If, if, are you getting it? If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am. Now, you can take the word here and mark it out. It's not there. He's basically saying, I am God. I am. He's calling himself by the name that is God has known throughout generations. I am that I am, okay? He says, I came not 
of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot. Why? Because you're not a son of God. Mm. You cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, what? Not everybody is a child of God. We're all children of God. Well, there's all kinds of little gods, little G gods. You might be a child of, but you're not a child of Yahweh. Amen? You see, it's about relationship. It's about family. Whose family are you a part of? If you choose to be in a family that rejects Yahweh, that rejects Yeshua, that rejects the gospel, then you're going to be of the household of Satan. And you're going to get his consequences because you're in league with him. But thanks be unto God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God. Oh my goodness. But the gift, it's a gift. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get into the family of God. You gotta be born into it. I didn't ask to be born in the family I was born in. I probably, if I had a way to select it, I would probably select it differently. I was born in it. I became a part of that family because of God's decision and God's decree. I had nothing to do with it. And it's the same with your salvation. God reaches down and gets you in dead in your trespasses and sins and sets you up and pulls you out of darkness. Now let's look at another one. Ephesians chapter 2. God just needed a flower in his garden in heaven. So he took your baby. I'm telling you, that stuff is rubbing you raw right now. There's some people in there that are getting rubbed raw by that because they believe it. No, it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why is the world in a mess? Because... God gave authority to man. Man sided with the devil, which is chaos. Therefore, chaos comes through man to cause this problem. And God is here to rectify it and reconcile all things unto himself through Jesus Christ. And we have to be reconciled to God. It isn't going to automatically happen. We got to reconcile ourselves to God. Are you with me? We've got to reconcile our life to God. Listen, I don't know about you. I've been saved for well over 30 years now. And I can tell you, I'm still reconciling things to God. I'm reconciling my attitudes and my thoughts and my mindsets. I'm reconciling my, you know, my beliefs. Submitting them to Him and allowing Him 
to give me the right thoughts and beliefs. Are you with me? Look, look at the second chapter of Ephesians. I got two minutes and 47 seconds. All right. It says in verse number one, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's where you were. You were dead. Now, what does dead mean? Dead means separated. Separated from the source of life. You lived biologically. You lived psychologically. But you were dead from the, you know, you were dead spiritually. Okay? Notice what this death was about. In which you once walked. And that word is to habitually walk in. To continuously and habitually walk in. That means that it was your habit. It wasn't something you said, oh, I think I'll do bad today. That's not. You can't. Listen, you don't have to teach a baby to lie. You don't have to teach a baby to get upset with another baby when that baby has the toy the baby wants. This is, this is nature. You understand? You habitually walked, notice this, following. You were a follower. I know you thought you were a rebel. You know you thought you were the unique one person. No, you were a follower. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, everybody say nature, nature. children of wrath, even as others. See, it was your nature. Christ did not come to give you a ticket to heaven. Christ came to change your nature. From a child of the devil to a child of God. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Amen? So the, the problem is, is that we're all thrown out in the storm-tossed uh, sea of, 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 you know, of life. God throws us a life preserver, but we don't like its color. I wanted a blue one. Come on, this is what the world does. I wanted a blue one. I don't know if I can, I can take that. That means something's wrong with me, and I can't admit that something's wrong with me. No, the Bible says you were lost, dead in your trespass and sin. This is, this is you. This is me. See, I have to acknowledge that. To fully acknowledge what Christ has done for me, I've got to acknowledge what I was. Otherwise, it's just not going to stick, guys. I mean, I know a lot of people that, that you know, they'll make a, they'll, they'll ask Jesus into their heart without even a revelation that, that they even needed him. And it, it, it becomes superficial. It, it, it's not based upon the right knowledge. I'm not saying that God doesn't hear your prayer. I'm not saying that at all. But many people fall away, backslide things because they don't understand what they were saved from. They don't have any clue what happened. They just knew that, hey, my, my, we were at church camp and, and all my friends were going up there and so I went up there too. 
And I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus in my heart and we got baptized that next Sunday. And it may not be that they're even in relationship with God. You can walk away from the altar as unsaved as you went to it. You can walk out of this building as lost as you came in. If you don't understand, first off, that as far as I, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, I walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and, and operated just like the sons of disobedience did. If I don't understand that, then how can I really truly access or even qualify in my mind for salvation? Because there's a lot of people that are accepting Jesus that don't even think they need him. My life's pretty good, you know. But I guess I don't want to go to hell. Well, these are, these are mindsets that the devil undermines later. But when you get true revelation of the fact that Jesus saved you from a horrible death and that he, listen, he saved you from the wrath of God. And there's no greater wrath than God's wrath. There's no greater wrath than that. The devil is trembling in his boots, just anticipating the day that that's coming down. He knows his future. He wants to confuse you about yours so that you by default will have his future. But oh, I'm here to tell you, my friends, there is a savior. There is a Lord. There is a king that gave his life for you, that became your sin because he didn't have any, that became your sickness, he didn't have any, that became your poverty, he didn't have any. He took everything that was your guilt, your shame, your condemnation, he took it. He took it, he took it on the cross and God turned his back on his own son because he became that serpent he was the lamb that became the serpent. He went down into the bowels of the earth. He was three days and three nights, but God declared him righteous in the midst of hell and raised him up from the dead. And I'm here to tell you, friends, God gave the answer for hell. He's not sending you there. You make the choice. You make the choice. Just like that book said, he knew it was his choice. It was his actions. It was the road he walked on. He couldn't blame his daddy. He couldn't blame his mama. He couldn't blame his teachers. He couldn't blame his ex-wife. He couldn't blame his ex her ex-husband. He couldn't blame anybody. He couldn't blame anybody, her abuser, anybody that hurt them, anybody that, uh, you know, did crime and, and assaulted them, anybody who hurt them. He couldn't blame them at all. Because once the complicity of this life is laid bare by the truth of eternity, there is no more excuse. You are walking in bare and naked, just as Adam was in the garden. You have nothing to wear, nothing to hide. But I'm going to have Jesus with me. 
I'm going to walk in because I have made, not that I'm perfect, because I'm not. Not that I do everything right, because I don't. Not because I dot every I and cross every T. Not because I'm just a good person and I help everybody. That ain't the basis for my salvation. The basis is the fact that I am dependent. I am dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I can only be in His presence because of His blood. I can only be in the presence of God because of His sacrifice. In Him I live and move and have my being. I'm in the family of God because He brought me into the family of God. Praise God. All I had to do was just simply believe that God, hallelujah, raised Jesus from the dead. Praise the Lord. That means that I, I, by faith, I make a choice. Faith is a choice. I said, faith is a choice. I said, faith is a choice. There's people that choose not to believe. There's people that choose not to do. No, I choose to believe. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was raised from the dead for my life. And I was raised with him. And I'm justified by him. And my name is not blotted out of the book of life because of him. And praise God, one day I will split the veil of this life. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, I remember in October of 1989, <coughs> I listened to R.W. Shambach for the first time. I saw him live. And every word that he said just penetrated. I can't tell you what the sermon was. I can't even tell you. But the conviction power of the Holy Spirit was on me. And of course, they did long meetings, you know. So I wasn't able to go to any altar call. So I went out. I had to pick up Karen from work. She was working nights. And I went out to that parking lot. And I got in my car. And the conviction power was on me. And I uttered just one name. I didn't pray a prayer. I didn't pray a prayer. I just said Jesus. And I cried out to him. And I passed from death unto life in a yellow Cadillac Coupe de Ville. Heaven came down. Ride in that yellow Cadillac with its ripped up seats and smells. I'm serious. He came right down. He came in a jail cell with Kevin. Came in a jail cell. There ain't no barrier. There ain't no barrier. Maybe he came to you when, when you got your divorce decree. Maybe he came to you when your kid said... I'm leaving. I don't. I hate you. Maybe he can't. It doesn't matter. He, he'll come. He showed up, and I was changed, man. I became a new creation. I mean, it was like someone else was looking outside these eyes. How many know what I'm talking about? Can someone testify and tell me you know what I'm talking about? It's just like somebody was looking at these different eyes. I still thought the same way. I still looked the same way. Still as attractive as ever. 
And, uh, but, uh, just kidding. But my mind was, you know, I had, I knew something changed. And I've been on that journey now for 30 years. And I can't tell you how blessed I am to know that if I go to sleep tonight and I don't wake up here. How many times have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? If Biden accidentally pushes a button. <laughs> thinking it's his Keurig. Hello. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. Are you going to be all right? Amen. Are you going to be all right? Well, I'll tell you what, the gift of God is here. Now, I've, I've done this message for twofold purpose. First, for anybody here that needs to know the Lord. But secondly, to stir you up as to people around you that don't know the Lord. I remember a story, and I'm going a little bit longer, but I'm going to just tell you this story because this is important for this week. There was a man that golfed with another man for about 30 years. 30 years. They would meet every Saturday and play 18 holes of golf. And uh, one of the gentlemen began to get stirred up about, about God. He was getting confronted with his need for salvation. He was getting older, facing some, you know, some physical challenges. And so he asked the other golfer, he says, ask his friend, he said, have you heard anything about Jesus? You know? And uh, the guy says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been going to such and such church for 30 plus years. And the man looked at him and said, you're a liar. You never told me not one time. You never said anything about your walk with God, about your what you've learned at church, you didn't even allude to the fact that you even went to church in 30 years. Are we guilty of that? Are there people that are not unaware of what God's done in our lives? Are we too embarrassed to testify to the goodness of the Lord and to what He is? You talk about blood on your hands. Some of you hide the fact you go here. You intentionally get different bumper stickers and put them on you. <laughs> Hello? I'll tell you, closet Christianity isn't going to make it. God doesn't like secret service saints. There are people in your life that need to know there's a heaven to shun, or there's a heaven to gain, and a hell to to say no to. But you got to say no to it by receiving Christ. 
So we're going to have counselors up here. If you have a need in that area, or you just want to recommit your life to the Lord, maybe you want to consecrate your life and say, Lord, I need boldness to be a better witness. Well, I can't think of a better place to pray for boldness than right here. Amen? So praise the Lord. So let's get stirred up. I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about these next four nights. I believe lives are going to be transformed and changed, and uh, it will definitely be lit. Is that, still a, is that still a good word? Is it all right? Is lit a good word? What's the word now? Tell me. Bussin'. <laughs> it will be bussin'. I think about bussing a table, you know, or riding a bus. So it will be bussing. Always like it when older people will pronounce it without the slang. Bussing. I remember when Daryl Evans came out, you know, he was just changed uh, uh, worship music for you. And we had this older guy, and he, was, he threw a little Daryl Evans in, you know. And, and he pronounced the words just like phonetically, just perfectly. And yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, 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 Lord. I mean, it was just, just was like, oh, my gosh. So, uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, um, Ha, ha, ha.